What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. Today's episode was a great one. We sat down with a certified financial planner, David Klein, and we talked about how much you should be spending on trading cards and other collectibles. What are the tax implications of some of the sales that you're doing at card shows or online? And he gave advice on how much of your portfolio you should allocate to this category. It was a great one. I think you guys will find this information very, very useful. I certainly did. So let's dive in. Kick is on the way, and it is All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness. I am here with LZ, and I have a very cool guest here today. David Klein is a certified financial planner, and he is actually my financial planner. And over the years, um, David has actually personally given me advice on how much to spend on basketball cards and trading cards. And, um, you know, based on that advice, I've made some pretty important decisions. So I... Um, I thought it'd be great to have him on the pod. We get a lot of questions all the time off the cuff. You know, I'll get a 17 year old that says, Hey, you know, how much should I be spending on cards? And then I'll get a 30 something that says, I don't trust the stock market at all. All I trust is, you know, baseball cards. And I'm like, Ugh. but you know, I don't want to be giving out advice because I'm not a certified financial planner. So David, welcome to the pod. Um, thank you for coming on. I figured you uh, could have a chance to introduce yourself as well. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Um, so I, yeah, been doing financial planning for over 15 years. I uh, did other stuff before then and um, and and love, yeah, talking through this and, and also love talking trading cards. So, so happy to answer any questions, uh, you know, you guys have. Look forward to it. Great. David, so welcome. Welcome real quick. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to talk to you because... When Nick told me, let's say, oh, geez, probably like two years ago, hey, Larry, you know, I talked to, I talked to my financial advisor and, and he gave me the okay <laughs> to invest in sports cards. I was like, whoa, all right, I got to meet this guy. I got to pick his brain. Um, so thank you for, thanks for joining us. I, 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 I know that our audience is really going to appreciate this because I don't know how many of them have heard a financial advisor's point of view on getting into collectibles. So very excited to be here and thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So first off, David, because this is a show about sports cards and collectibles, I just know from my personal conversations with you that you did collect um, at some point in your life. So, you know, do you still do that now at all? Or is that just something you did way back? Yeah. So I haven't in a while. I, I've kind of turned, my son has jumped in and I've turned my cards over to him, but it's fun, right? We all have our different stories. I mean, I grew up in really in the eighties, my brother is five years older. So he started the collection and, and I got into trading cards, basketball, baseball cards. And it's funny. My kids laugh at me even today, like different numbers. I just go back to the eighties, right? I see number 28 and something in life. And to me, it's Steve Crawford or sevens like Nick Asaski. And they're like, who are these people you're talking about? And they're like, you know, it's just, they know it's eighties because trading cards, just studying the, you know, the numbers, the statistics. So uh, yeah, that's how I got into it. I remember always bragging about my best card was the rookie, Ricky Henderson, 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. And now watching my 15 year old get into it. Really cool. That's awesome. So David in the card world, um, we use all kinds of crazy terms. You know, we've got, we've got different time horizons for collecting, right? So some of us collect to hold forever and maybe hand down to our children, similar to what I'll do with that 1986 Fleer autograph set. I'm going to hand that down to my son. So that's not a quick flip. That's obviously long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people who do flip, you know, they'll, they'll get something, they'll get a hot player, something happens and they'll try to 10 X that, or even hundred X that, or, you know, they'll buy a pack, almost like a lottery ticket. Uh, they, we call it breaking in our industry. Um, they'll open that pack and hope for a card that's worth, you know, 20 grand or whatever. Um, we even use some terminology that's that's similar, like blue chips, you know, like a blue chip basketball player would be Michael Jordan <laughs> and a blue chip yeah. uh, baseball player would be Mickey Mantle. They're a safe bet. They're, um, they've already done everything. They're in the Hall of Fame, et cetera. Similar to, you know, whatever, an Apple or, um, you know, a stock like that you'd invest in. So, the question here is what advice would you have for those that are investing in sports cards for the long term and I guess the short medium slash medium term? And how is that different than stocks or mutual funds? Right. So I mean the answer in a lot of ways, right, is it it depends, right? It always comes back to your goals. And Nick, you've heard me say this for years. It comes back to your goals. So if it's long term, great. There's a focus just like in stocks on those blue chips that you're talking about, right? Trying to gather those blue chips that you know are going to hold up over time. The Michael Jordans or, you know, or what we think, right? The Apples, the Googles, the Microsofts, same thing in stocks. Um, But, you know, we have to be aware there are certainly a lot of differences, right? So there's, um, there's no cash flow, right? With cards. Um, You don't get any dividend, um, so there are differences there w- with with cards. Also, I think about like public information. Apple, everybody knows kind of everything about Apple, right? Um, I I go back, and you guys can tell me, but you go back even when like Greg Oden um, and Kevin Durant come out, right? Everybody thinks that's all public information. These are going to be two superstars who's one and two, and look how different their careers were, right? Because of injury. Um, so cards just don't have all that public information. Um, and, and so that's another difference. And then back to your question on short-term or long-term, right? They're taxed very differently, which I think we'll get into um, trading cards, whether you're flipping those cards, um, you know, and trading uh, quickly or holding on long-term. Interesting. Yeah, I never... I like that public information bit there. I mean, even, even injuries to a player, right? Like we're not privy to that. Um, but if, no. you know, Tim cook is, uh, has got a leave of absence that, that gets baked into the, into the annual report. Never mind that, but even, even the quarterly, you know, conference call they'll do. So that's wild. I never thought of it that way. Exactly. Yeah. That's but, a really, yeah, really, I, I, I love the Greg, Greg Oden, um, example too that just hit home immediately when you said that that's that's great um if if i if if i'm I'm trying to kind of put myself in in this new way of thinking here with thinking of this could really be an investment here i am talking to a financial advisor about it um when i've sat down with my financial advisor in the past and, and we talk about retirement it's always like okay 
what what age are you right now and where do you want to get to if if we keep that same frame of mind do you have any recommendations for let's say maybe someone in their teens or let you know we could focus on like the 20 to 30 year olds who are in in the hobby thinking about buying trading flipping all that and then you know that group versus like a 40 or a 50 year old like do you have any recommendations for those kind of at least two age categories yeah a- absolutely so when i think back and and for teenagers you know we want teenagers to to really think about spend save invest and donate right so so the spend piece is kind of just go and have fun you're you're a teenager um, you know, the save is obvious. The invest is where you get to the trading cards, right? For a lot of teenagers, I think if they can use gifts, right? I mean, I know just from my two teenagers, there's not a lot of income there, right? My 15-year-old just got his first summer job at 15, right? There, there's not a ton of money there. So if you can leverage gifts from family or friends, and, and this is something you want to get into, I think that's great if you can leverage that and go start a collection and I would guess, and I don't know what you guys would say, they'd be ahead of the game to start thinking about, are they just collecting or do they have a plan, right? Are they trying to hold on long long term? Versus folks in their 20s or 30s that start to develop, brain starts to develop, they start thinking more about that plan. What are they doing here, um, right? Again, I, I see a lot of people that just have a collection of stocks and I'll ask them, how did you come up with these stocks? And they're like, I don't know. I just kind of picked these up over the years. Right. And you would hope twenties and thirties, same thing, instead of just collecting cards, they would have a little bit more of a plan. And then maybe it's, you know, and it depends on everybody's assets and right. And time horizon and risk tolerance, like you're talking about, but you know, maybe it's hundreds of dollars they're investing. Um, versus someone 40s and 50s that now is like, you know what, I have some discretionary income, I have some assets. For those folks, we look at it more at, you know, 70, 80% of your assets, if that can just be in kind of by the market, I think of that more to the publicly traded stuff. So think stocks, bonds, and cash, right? You're just trying to hit singles and doubles with that stuff, five, 7%, right, on average. And then the other 20 or 30%, that's where you can go for some home runs with pieces of it. So that's another 20, 30%. But specifically to your question on trading cards, in your you know, 40s or so, maybe that's two to three percent of your you know liquid net worth. So if you think of someone who's been fortunate to accumulate just for easy math, let's take a million dollars, right? That's 20 to 30,000 of going towards trading cards right in their 40s. And if they say to me, hey, I plan to work till I'm 70, okay, maybe they can go 5% or 50 grand, right? Something a little bit more. Is it, does that help? It does. It helps a lot. And and I have a follow-up to that. So I would I would love your your comment on this because I find that I'm gonna go back to the teenage teenager example you gave that financial literacy, especially for teenagers, high school students is, is very much lacking. And I, I wish that more schools had like dedicated classes around this. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if getting into even collectibles as a teenager might start to like have that teenager kind of dip their toes into investing. What, what, do, you, what do you think around that whole theory? Yeah. 
I, I think that's great. I, I think yeah. absolutely. I mean, anything, because then what you start to get, right, the biggest thing for teenagers and for kids even younger than this is to think about that like delayed gratification of I've got a little bit of money, but I'm not just going to run out and spend it, right? That's that spend category. Can you think about saving things in your pocket or investing in what you're talking about, trading cards? Um, I, I think that would be wonderful for them to start thinking about because it's not, you know, if they want a whatever card, Wembenyama or who, whoever it is to sit tight till it, you know, hits the market, um, they're waiting, right? I'm going to hold on to this dollar or this, whatever it's going to cost to go. And I'm going to go get a pack and hope this is what I'm going to hope I'm going to get. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. And to your point goes to a huge gap with teenagers today, right? In financial literacy. Mm -hmm. That's Excellent. funny. You yeah. know, what's interesting. This just, uh, this just occurred to me too, because, um, you know, LZ and I talked about these things called redemption cards. Basically, a redemption mm -hmm. card is an IOU. So you you pull a card out of a pack and it says, congrats, you got a card. You can submit this and, you know, for the next year uh, for an autograph of X player, right? Sometimes you might not get that back for a year or something like that. And LZ and I were talking about how to... Um, it's almost like timing the market, you know, with a day trader, they're like, I think, you know, it's going to do this on this day. And you in this case would be timing the player. All right. I think he's going to have a big game, prime time, you know, uh, Christmas game or something like that. And they blow up or, you know, there's an injury and you almost short it, right. <laughs> and you get rid of it. Um, so it's fascinating to me, the, the parallels between the two. And I think like LZ said, just, um, getting educated on this on a small scale is, is probably beneficial for, um, you know, for all ages, really. Mm -hmm. It's very I, cool. I, I love that question on that. I'm curious, is the marketplace there now, or are you saying it's going to get there in terms of like, you know, that type of volatility and shorting and, and different things? That's a great question. You know, I, I wonder to myself how liquid things are sometimes, you know, there's, there's obviously eBay, um, and that's a fairly liquid market. It's massive. You can get rid of things there at the right price. If you want to fire sale something, it's gone. But you might be stuck with 60, 70% of the the comp or or what it's actually worth to really move it fast. And, you know, obviously we'll get into it later in the show, but there's tax implications of selling it on eBay and um and things like that. And you know, you could go to local card shows and unload it, but you know, that's again, that's a match type thing. You got to find somebody who wants it at the right price. There's work involved. Um, so it's all, you know, and, and again, eBay has 10% fees too. So it's not cheap. That's, that's higher than brokerage fees. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. So David, you know, I, I don't know if the audience knows, but I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur and I've had a few businesses over the years and I come to David with crazy ideas um, at least once or twice a year. And usually um, I ask him, all right, here's the bet I'm going to place. This is the value on that bet. What do you think in the grand scheme of my net worth and my financial plan and and, and all that good stuff? Um, and David will come back to me and say, "I'm usually he's comfortable with like 3% or less on crazy ideas. I think that's his philosophy. Um, so I guess with that in mind, what percentage of a, a balanced portfolio, this includes stocks, real estates, probably your house, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whatever else you may have in, uh, you know, other assets. Um, what percentage are you comfortable with somebody having in collectibles? Doesn't necessarily need to be trading cards. It could be 
um, signed helmets or basketballs or whatever, but just like that category, art, you know, whatever. Yep. So like a bunch of things, it, it depends on, so I'm going to give you an answer, but it, you know, it depends on client situation and, and health and how long they're planning to work and, um, and their risk tolerance, right? Some people will just say, look, I get the risk, but this is just what I know and love, right? And so my role with them is to help them focus enough of their money on the singles and doubles that if everything goes wrong in the collectible market or you know whatever that is, um, that they're still okay. They're not going to do something dumb because most of the clients I work with are, are either okay or on track to be okay. So let's not screw that up, right? Um, and, and, but within that people have different risk tolerances and, and, and as long as they understand those risks, then the answer could vary a little bit, but I would say just looking at the collectibles, you know, um, I would rather that be on under 5%. Mm -hmm. Um, you read, I've read different books that have, you know, as high as 20% because there's a theory, you know, those tend to be the people that are all doom and gloom on the stock market, and think, you know, you should put 20% into gold and 20% into purchasing a self-sustaining farm and 20% into collectibles, right? I'm not as doom and gloom on, on the, you know, the global markets in the, in the U.S. So to me, it's it's somewhere around 5% um, mm. in that balanced portfolio. That's good advice because uh, I can tell you there's, you know, a lot of my followers on Instagram, it's it's probably well above 5% in many cases. So mm -hmm. that's, that's good to know. Yeah, it is. It is above it. Yeah. I see it too, Nick. And the other thing I see it and it, and it's more like these memes and these people joking around, but I think they're, I think they're serious, right? They're, they're putting these purchases on credit cards and they're just, they're, Hey, I just, I just cast my paycheck and immediately bought this with it. Right. It's, um, but that actually is, is, a, a, another thing that I thought of, and Nick, you touched on it at, at the beginning when you kind of opened it up. There's a lot of people, and it's the whole financial literacy thing too, not with teenagers, but with adults. It's, um, you know, I don't believe in stocks. I don't trust them. You know, the stock market's failing. It's crashing. And these these are just kind of, what are these stocks? I can't even hold them, but I can hold these cards, right? And that's what I love so much about them. I can hold them. I can put, put them under my my uh, pillow at night. Right. Um, so David, what are your thoughts there? And just like easing people into this, you know, maybe touch a little bit more on this financial literacy thing, because me and Nick hear it all the time, right? Again, it's put, putting it on, putting it on credit cards and just over leveraging themselves because they don't trust whether it's the stock market or, or what have you. Yeah, I totally get it. Um, I, I totally get it. The the biggest thing that I think that cuts at the heart of what you're talking about mm. is that the fact the stock market has it's really two things, but daily volatility, right? So it smacks people in the face every single day, right? Last week they see the headline: stocks are down three percent. Uh, we're headed for you know, a recession. Things are going to get bad again. There, so it's the daily volatility of stocks combined with news and the media. Right. They we all know they want the clicks and they tend to to kind of scare people to get them to, to click. So, um, you know, in general, I mean, I read my, you know, certain newspapers, but I've kind of cut out the news. It's just, you know, it's doom and gloom. And I see people on a daily basis 
that just get really scared. And then we know what happens when you're scared. You get into the whole psychology of it, right? You stop thinking with certain parts of your brain and that's the people, and I see it, whether with trading cards, I see it with real estate, right? They can they can touch and feel the bricks in the real estate. They get it, they, you know, they buy multiple homes and they try and rent them out. Um, but you can get, you know, over, that's a great, another great place to invest, but in any, it's like any investment can be terrific or it can be the worst, right? Depending on how it's used. But anyways, I, I totally get the, I can touch and feel trading cards. So this is what I want to get into. And, you know, and I, again, I'm a big advocate for it, but it's just got to be in like anything else in life in moderation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's makes that's sense. interesting. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. the other thing that that ties into that, David. You you've told me as well. When you get into trading cards, especially me for vintage, which is older trading cards, you almost become somewhat of an expert and a networker in finding these things. So they actually, in some cases, for me, have been very safe bets. Where I know it's almost like real estate. You make your money on the buy. You know, it's it's almost like the card. If I buy it. I try to kind of make sure I've made money already when I purchase the card, I get it under market. Um, and you've helped me kind of think that way about it too. Right. And, and that's, I mean, it goes both ways, right? I mean, it's, there, there's obviously they got to be trust with a financial advisor, right? But I've got to trust what you as the client are going to do. So like, Nick, you're someone I may give a little more rope and, you know, and obviously no one has to listen to exactly what, what I tell them, not all <laughs> my are good ones. But I would say, you know, for you, where I watched you do this for a few years and really study it and, and how much, you know, you love this. And I just I know how your brain works. You're not just going to fly in and make a quick decision. Um, you know, maybe you go to eight percent or, you know, maybe you're a lot. You know, we talk about some higher number. And so people like that that are true experts that know what they're doing and they plan to be in it for a while. Great. We can talk about that five percent. Maybe we you know, you can nudge that up you know further. But then you just see the people that are like, oh, real estate or whatever, trading cards. I'm going to fly in. This is yeah. markets down. It was up from COVID. Now it's down. I'm going to fly in and make a hundred grand. Like it just doesn't work that way. Right. I'm sure you guys have seen trade mm-hmm. in the card business that just doesn't work. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, there was um, like, a, like a lot of other bubbles, like a lot of other boom bust cycles of businesses. There was a massive, massive uptick in COVID in trading card interest and prices. And it was absolutely inflated and it's come down from that. But I will say there are certain categories of cards that are rising and are have still risen since that period. And that includes kind of the vintage stuff and uh, things that are signed by players that aren't here anymore. So I'm thankful that I kind of attacked that category with knowledge, like you said. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So David, this next section, it's um, I've got almost a few questions within it, and it's it's really the whole tax side of owning and selling cards. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of cash deals that are done in this space. Card shows, you see cash flying around all the time. Um, kids buying stuff with cash. What are the the tax implications of making purchases in that way? You know, what kind of like reporting do you need to do? What do you need to think about, you know, on April 15th next year? Right. So I can tell you from listening to CPAs, obviously I'm not a CPA, but I talk to them often. Um, anytime you're earning money over what you're spending on, whether it's a hobby or whatever, right, it's income. So you, you're you're supposed to declare it. Um, and so it's it's taxed like anything else. 
Um, here's where another similarity actually I see with stocks is with trading cards. People just want to say, kind of like I did, I've got a rookie Ricky Henderson or whatever the best card is that someone's got and it's worth this much, right? But it's really about what you keep in your pocket after taxes. So uh, yeah, the taxation is a little bit higher than capital gains of just selling a stock, especially, you know, of holding more than a year, which I'm happy to get into as well. Yeah, it's... That's fascinating. Let's go into that. So how is how is it taxed differently on the length of time that you hold it? Yep. So let's assume that the, you're holding the card more than a year, just like a stock, it, it's taxed at, at, at capital gains rates, but unlike stocks, it's taxed as a collectible. So the long-term capital gains rates, at least at the federal level, is 28%, right? Mm -hmm. Versus most are at 15%. For a Got stock, you know, long-term cap gains rates for, for stocks, depending on your income. So 28%, obviously almost double is something. And that's what I mean by you got to think about what you're going to keep in your pocket. And then if you sell it within those 12 months, uh, then it's taxed at your ordinary, whatever your ordinary income rate is. And that's just like a stock or anything else that you sell with it under a year. That's interesting. So for the audience there, you know, let's just say just for the sake of numbers that you make $100,000 a year. Um, you know, your income, uh, income tax, let's just call it 38%, total ballpark, who knows what's going on. Um, so if you buy a card in January for, you know, $100, and it goes to $200, and you sell it in December, not the following January, you're going to pay, you know, 38% tax on that. But what 28, the, sorry. Oh, sorry, 28, sorry. 28. Yep. And then if you... Sorry. Oh, that's your... No, no, sorry, yeah. Nick. I didn't mean to... Within a year. Yeah, yeah, within, <laughs> within a year. A year. Absolutely. Keep going, ordinary income. Yep. yep. And then if yeah. you sell that card in January, the following year, now you've entered long-term land, which is a great place to be. And depending on your income is the highest is 20-ish percent, right? Right. Fascinating. You know, the the other thing that happens with, with cards all the time, um, we actually have a friend of the pod, Cousin Eddie, who's going to be on soon. You know, he talks about, he, he'll pull a pack of cards and... In that pack, you might get one card that's worth 500 and the others are worth $1. And when it comes to tax time, he's got to figure out a way to report the cost basis of all of those cards together. And there's a lot of different philosophies because the cards change in value just like stocks do almost every day. And there's not really this like this Bible, this place you can go for an accurate point in time on the values of all these cards. And so at the end of the year, he gets so frustrated. He's like, I have to tell my, you know, my accountant what this, you know, this base card cost me in this pack because I sold it on eBay and I need a cost basis, uh, which for the audience, a cost basis is essentially what you paid for something at the original time you paid for it. Um, so, you know, what, how do you navigate that? You know? Yeah, there is, there's no easy answer to that one, Nick. Um, that is just working with your accountant and making an estimate of, you know, I paid X for this whole pack. This was one of, you know, however many cards and allocating what the accountant and you think is, you know, is reasonable sure. attributing to that, that card that sold for something higher. Yeah. I mean, that, that happens all the time in the hobby. I mean, sometimes those cards will get just thrown in the trash if they're not like valuable cards and, um, you know, tax time, you're like, I don't know, you know, you're coming up with your, like you said, I guess, it, I guess it comes down to honesty and just your, your best guess on this is kind of what I paid for things. And this is kind of what I made from them, whether it's cash, 
eBay is different because they'll issue you tax forms at the end of the year once you reach a certain threshold. Um, but, you know, we're just trying to collect. But once you move from collector to seller, there's some stuff you have to take care of because you don't want to be paying penalties, which I'm sure are pretty steep. Right. A absolutely. You're up. You're spot on. My my head's gonna explode. <laughs> no, it, it it is eye opening though. I I never I never thought of you know the short term versus uh you know the long term. So that was that was great. We've we've heard of Ricky Henderson, kind of you referencing your cards back back in the day when you when you collected them, and you've since given these to your son or your 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 daughter. Maybe you had mentioned. Uh, I'm just curious. So. Are you now kind of helping them try to collect now that they've taken on this? Like, what are, what are your kids getting into? What are you helping them with? Yeah. So actually, I've got some questions for you guys on that. Okay. So, what? So I've tried actually to take to be hands off for right or wrong, and you know, watching my son just have fun. First of all, organizing the cards, right? Going through all these cards from a bunch of players he hasn't heard of. And then, and he's, you know, really into sports, but you know, these are obviously mostly from the eighties and then starting to collect his own. And back to my advice, you know, the different birthdays, he's still asking for family members. Just can I get baseball trading cards or basketball trading cards, which I love. And then, you know, he's starting to make different goals for himself of, I'd like to build up, you know, these, these certain teams and then see if I can sell them. And, and I haven't known, so this is perfect to, you know, what would you guys recommend for a 15 year old, a teenager who's just starting out organizing his cards, starting to develop a plan? Like what's the process you would say for, for them and how do they go about this? LZ, do you want me to take it or do you? Well, I think we could both take it first. I want to say bravo to your son for actually having a plan that hopefully I feel like maybe that was kind of trickled down from you, right? You know, having you as a father, I certainly didn't have a plan when I was collecting. I was just, you know, when I first started, I was just chasing whoever the best athlete was. So kudos to you there. Yeah, Nick, I think both of us can give some advice here. I would say, First and foremost, I'm just thinking of like some of the mistakes I made at first, right? I think he need. I, I love that he has a plan when he gets to the point where he wants to understand the values of his cards to try to understand his set. A lot of people make the mistake of they go on eBay and they just look at the 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 listing price. That's a big no-no because the listing price is a heck of a lot different than what that, that card's going to actually sell for. So make sure that when he goes goes into eBay because eBay is actually a good spot for him to do some research on what these cards are worth. Um, go in there make sure he's sorting by sold or completed yep. cards. And then that will give him a really good sense of what those cards are worth. So that's, um, that's number one. Um, I would say number two comes to mind. Me and Nick have touched on some of these. If he wants to get into autographs, I think autographs are a great way, but he doesn't have to spend a lot of money. He can do something called TTM, which is through the mail. I think it's also another good lesson for a teenager to go through that process. It teaches him um, how to get organized, how to write a letter to an athlete or a celebrity um, and um, have communication skills and, and get that done. And that's going to help him 
really 10x some of these cards. Mm. Um, so those are a few that are popping out right now. Nick, why don't you take a couple and maybe I'll think of a few more. Yeah, sure. So from a from a high level, if you look at most of the stuff from the 80s, it was pretty pretty well overproduced, unfortunately, because I have a ton of stuff and it's just, it's not worth a ton, but there are exceptions. So like LZ said, you know, it's good to take the cards that he thinks might have value. That would be like Hall of Famers, more of the famous names, go on eBay, see what they're worth. And also, like Elsie said, that Ricky Henderson rookie, consider getting that signed at a signing. They pop up probably once a quarter or twice a year for him. Um, that will increase the card value more than you're going to pay for the signing. But from, from an overall perspective, I would say two-thirds of this should be... Sorry, one-third of this should be fun, just pure fun. Like, whatever athletes he likes right now, whether that's the, the Celtics or sports or whatever... He should just mm. buy like a nice rookie card that's not going to break the bank on that athlete that he's going to actually care about and watch. And who knows, maybe he could even get it signed at a game. Um, there's grading. We we don't need to go into all of that. But um, if you wanted that card to be more valuable, you could buy one that's already been graded and put into encased in plastic, which we call slabbed. Um so that, that's what I would do with one third. So just have a little bit of fun, right? Maybe open some stuff too, just because that's fun. You know, open some boxes you get at Target or Walmart or whatever. Um, then two thirds, the other two, th two thirds of this, I would come up with a plan. He's been given a nice gift from you. Some of these cards are probably worth money. I would, you know, we've got local card shows um, every couple of weeks around the Boston area. And just pop in with some of these cards. Talk to some of these guys. Again, it's it's building networking skills, communication skills. You go in with these cards and say, hey, you know, what would you buy this for? Maybe they say, I'll buy that right now for this. Now, has he gone on eBay and seen what it's worth? Is that a good deal? And then, you know, he gets some cash and now he can buy something different. Um, for the cash that he raises from that, you know, th this chunk, I would recommend you spread that out too. Um, it's almost like stocks. There's the home runs you try to hit. So you bet on your your new players and your hot rookies, right? Um, and then you go back to the blue chips. You know, you get like some kind of a nice Michael Jordan card that's obviously not going to break the bank or, or players that can't get injured anymore because they're retired. Um, or even just autograph stuff from people that aren't here anymore or some that are older, like like Bob Cousy. You know, he's he's still signing and he's, he's 95. Um, so just have fun, spread it around. And yeah, like, just build life skills while you're doing it. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's a great path. I love it guys. That is really helpful. I know. And I've heard you talk about TTM and some of those other strategies and I know uh, he will use these strategies and then hopefully obviously helps other teenagers as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, great. that set that I, the 1986 Fleer autograph set that I've put together, LZ is pretty close on it. Um, you know, it's worth a, a substantial amount of money now, obviously. And I, I probably put half of that together for free, to be honest, the cost of postage um, and time, obviously writing the letters. So it's just just an example of what can be done um, with just a little bit of effort. And especially coming from a kid, he takes a picture with the card or something. It means a lot. Right. And for a lot of those teenagers out there, the families are going to like this, right? Not on, We haven't talked about any technology. They're not on phones. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. That's a great yes. point. Yep. You're you're at card shows, having a good time, networking and writing letters the old fashioned way. It's so powerful mm -hmm. um, and, and so meaningful. And uh, it's great. I've enjoyed it, too. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of education 
to just go to Nick's point around going to these shows, right? Just just soak it all in. Talk to as many people working at the different tables as you can. I think that's great. I am going to go a little bit to the technology side, even though I know we don't really want our kids going that direction. But there's also a lot of like good forums mm-hmm. on whether it's Facebook, you know, some of the other the other Reddit, right? There are good ones, right? Now parents need to get involved, make sure that they're, they're joining the right forums. Mm-hmm. But you can learn a lot on those, and there are some good follows and. You know, we can share those with with you, David, later on, and which ones you know we think are, are good, especially for a teenager and and the audience as well. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Really helpful, thank you. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, so we're gonna get to the question that we ask every guest who joins, um, and I'm glad that you have kind of a collecting background, and uh, you know, you've whipped off a lot of different athletes. So I, I think this will be a good question for you. If you could have coffee with any sports athlete, deceased or living, who would it be and why? Mm. So uh, I love that question. Um, And uh, I I think this will resonate with you guys after listening to an earlier episode because it's in the same realm. Um, So for me, somebody I've recently become more fascinated with and reading things about and, and would love to get that that coffee and go out with is is Bill Russell, right? Um, for obvious reasons to hear him, not just from like the winning and the 11 championships in 13 years, but just, you know, everything that he went through and, and the the struggles and, and everything that he went through, um, that, you know, that we all know about. And then to think who he was linked to, to be able to get stories about Red Auerbach and Larry Bird and just, you know, those Celtics teams, I'm sure Tommy Heinsohn, you know, just to think of the amount of stories that comes from someone like that playing in the sixties and then just having links to, to everybody, you know, to all those other great Celtics uh, to me, that would be an absolute blast to, uh, to do that. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one, David. That's, this is one that I think is going to become a theme. We've, we've heard it from a few guests already. Nick, we should actually start writing these down. And like a year from now, we go back and say, all right, how many, how many Russells, how many Babe Ruths, how many Michael Jordans, but we've gotten a Russell already. Yeah, we have, we have, have. we have. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great, David. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. There's no, there's no wrong answers, but that's a great one. I I agree. Yeah. So David, um, just before we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance, um, just in case, I mean, the audience may want to reach out with questions or they might've thought your advice was great and maybe they, they want their own financial advisor. Um, so I just wanted to see if there's a a great way for them to reach out or place they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, have a website, um, David M Klein, uh, uh, com where I work uh, at integrated partners, so uh, we have a great team at, at Integrated and, and work, you know, the way I always describe it is work with people with high complexity, which can mean a lot of different things. And one of those high complexity is I love trading cards and collectibles. And how do I think through these complex questions? So, uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions, help anybody that, uh, you know, we, we have a great team. So I uh, feel very fortunate who's, who's behind me. 
Great. Thanks, David. I, I can say from personal experience from a very complex client with multiple businesses, um, <laughs> you've definitely done a great job. Half your job has almost been like my my therapist, like, okay, it's all right, Nick, you know, <laughs> and, and holding my hand. So uh, yeah, it's been great, great over the years. So thank you. I'm sure that's helpful. I've enjoyed working with you and enjoyed the friendship. And uh, yeah, this has been great. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for uh, asking me to come on. Great. Absolutely. All right, everyone. That has been another episode of Sports Card Madness. You can find us on Apple, Spotify. We have a YouTube channel as well, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and we'll keep them coming. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.